Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14, um, goes like this. For this reason, this is Paul speaking, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we love you and we um, thank you. Um, just as an ex- this expression of Paul that he bows his knee before the Father in heaven who, who every man, who every woman on earth derives its name. Um, God, we just join Paul on our knees thanking you for the great grace that you have shown us, for your good mercy that sent Jesus to um, live a perfect life in our place and to die on the cross in our place, absorbing all of your wrath for our sin. All, all of our wrath goes on him. All of your wrath goes on him and, and all of his perfection on us. So God, we thank you for that. God, we thank you for the mercy that makes dead people alive. We thank you for the sort of grace that um, slams into a person's heart and changes them forever. And God, I thank you for how that grace has been displayed over the last two years in our church family and uh, in this room and families in this room. So God, we, we thank you for that. And God, I, I pray that as we look forward, God, that we would have big hopes and big dreams as far as what you wanna do in our community, in our neighborhoods, within our families. God, that we would put Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 to the test, that, that beyond all that we could even think of to ask or think of to imagine, God, that you wanna do more than those things. And so God, I pray that, that our Um, hopes and dreams might be reflective of a big God and your big hopes and dreams for the world. And so, God, we pray that. I pray that that you would bring our hearts into alignment with you. God, that we would love the things that you love, hate the things that you hate. Um, So, God, help us feel that way about life, about church, about our families, about our community. God, God, help us feel the way you do. It's in your good name we pray. Amen. Okay, so so here's what we're going to do tonight. I'm going to run through um, seven pieces of information um, that I just want to get out to you that I think would be good for you to know about Stonegate and just where we are. And then I want to hit kind of the primary pieces that we want to hit on gospel community and mission tonight. And then um, we're going to finish by giving you some time to get in some groups and for us to pray together um, as families and as um, groups kind of around you. And so that's the plan. Uh, nothing, nothing too extravagant. It's going to be pretty straightforward and trying to walk through this and uh, and get you all this information that we want to get out to you. So with that said, um, the PowerPoint will kind of help give us some structure tonight. And so uh, seven things, uh, kind of under this general topic of the status of Stonegate on just a variety of different fronts and issues. So first one I want to cover is Stonegate and um, our growth and some of the implications of that growth. And before I throw out the next little chart and tell you where we are growth-wise, I just want you to hear this again, that at the end of the day, our metrics and what we would think of as a healthy church has nothing to do with the size of our place. So I just want you to keep hearing that from us, that a big church... Um, does not equal a God-glorifying church, and a small church doesn't equal a God-glorifying church. There's not like a moral thing that is associated with a a size of a church. So just hear that. That's not our, our, our end goals are not for a big church, not for a small church. We want to put ourselves up and let God do what he wants to with it. And so, but with that, um, over the last two years, this is what our growth has looked like at Stonegate. 
And so um, that's a two-year span there where um, if you were to back that up one week from September or basically August of uh, 2009, we started with about 30 people in a home. And uh, this, this is essentially where we are averaging-wise kind of over a month span. So I think in August that we averaged 555, something like that. And so um, with that, that forces some decisions for us that, that are kind of coming down the pike. It, it means some things for us. Um, not that we are, are establishing like a health on those numbers, but that means that we have to be good stewards of what God is giving us. And we've got to figure out how do we pastor this group of people well? And how do we become good stewards of what God has entrusted to us um, with families around our place? And so with that, I, I want to try to throw two things out to you that I think this means for us that is coming down kind of the road for us. And one, we talked about a few a few Sundays ago, and that goes like this. We need to be very, very diligent to maximize both of our services right now. And so we, right now we do two services on a Sunday morning, and we've got to be very diligent to maximize the, the, what we can do in both of those. And so what, what that means to maximize those is those have got to become more balanced for us. If we have two balanced services um, in our church um, on a Sunday morning, that puts us in a, in a position where we, can, um, we could have somewhere in the neighborhood of on the low side, 675-ish, on the high side, maybe 775 on a Sunday morning, and theoretically be okay around here. So it puts us in that sort of a numbers type of a thing with what we're currently doing. And so, but the key to all that is that we have got to, to find a way to get both of these two services along the same track as far as just the balance in both of them. So th this is over the last four weeks, I'm not counting this last Sunday, the last four weeks, um, where we've been in the numbers in each service. I just want you to see this so you can see our problem that we're having. Oh, gosh, there went coffee. Um, <laughs> sorry, City of Midlothian. I'll pick that up later. Okay, so, um, so that you can see how this is tracking for us. And so if we don't get this solved, like by the time, that if God throws another 100 people at us over the next five or six months, there's a good chance that there will be Sundays that we have to turn people away from the second service. If, if, we, if we don't get these two things balanced. And so um, with that, you can kind of see how this is going. Let me move out of the way here so people on this side can see that. And so if you look back to the 8th of, of uh, August, then there's about 150 people difference between the two services. And you can just kind of see it ranges anywhere between probably 70 and 158. Any, anywhere in there. Now, this last week, it actually shrunk a little bit, so I don't know what, what's up with that. I'm not exactly sure, um, but we'll see kind of how this works out over the next couple of months. So in all that, we're saying this, though. If you've got freedom and, and you're not tied to the second service by serving somewhere, we would love for you to consider just making that first service kind of your normal your normal home. And especially if you are, I, I think this is what happens in typical like places with the church in, uh, when you have an early service at nine and a later one at 11, your younger one has predominantly a little bit older crowd in it because y'all like to get up early, right? And your, your older one has a little bit younger crowd because they hate getting up early. And so um, we want to fight really hard against that. So if, if you are a college something in here or a single something in here or a young married something in here, um, we would love for you to try to get around early enough to get here to the nine and, uh, and help give balance to that service, not just numerically, but, but in our demographic too, right? And so all that to say that this is a crucial issue for us, that we can get this settled out and we can maximize what we're currently doing with two services in our place. Okay, so that's the first piece of, of what this whole thing, that just growth is kind of moving us toward. The second one, and we're going to invite you to start praying um, with us on this, is we're going to have to figure out a longer-term solution 
to um, how to maximize this facility as we're in here, which means balancing the two services is a temporary fix for us. It's just a Band-Aid long-term for us. And so um, it's a good, maybe anywhere between a three, four month to maybe a year plan to, to get us where we need to go there. But longer than that, we're, we're definitely into, we're gonna have to figure something beyond two services out. And so that, that puts a range of issues on the table for us that we're just trying to, to pray over and um, throw out pros and cons with and really ask God to give us some good direction on and investigate the possibility of these things. Anything from a third service on a Sunday night to um, is it possible to do three on Sunday morning to maybe even like busting that wall out and moving preschool to Navarro and having a bigger room in here on a Sunday. So we've we're, we're got all those sort of things on the table trying to um, debate which one of those is gonna be the best long-term solution for us as we camp out in the conference center. And so we, we would invite your input into that though if you've got good ideas that we're not thinking of there that, um, that you have, we'd love to hear those. And so um, we'd invite you to start praying with us on what, what that long, a little bit longer-term fix is for us as we make life work in here. Um, okay, and, and let me finish by saying this under this general heading, and then we'll do a quick Q&A on it. These are all great problems to have, right? These are the problems you want to have. If we have these problems for the rest of our life, in here, that's great problems to have. We'll take those forever, right? And so they're all good problems to have, but they're problems nonetheless that, that we're going to be working through. So let me push pause on that whole Stonegate and growth issue. Any questions on that? And we'll try to give Q&A at the end of each section. Any questions? Going once, going twice, and we're done. Okay, so all that to say, balancing two services is the immediate fix. So if you're a second service person, we'd love for you to consider making that switch over. We'd love you for it. Okay, um, second big issue is Stonegate and the Conference Center. We want to update you on where we are as far as um, our contract with the Conference Center and how long we've got in the Conference Center, that whole thing. And so um, we've got a crew of guys that have really helped on the, just the, the, the behind the scenes, the, the logistical, detailed work of all of those sort of things for us. We've got a crew of guys that have really served us well in that arena. And so David Hansen has been the guy that has really led out on the contract with the Conference Center. And so I wanted to get Dave to address this for us so you can get from him kind of where we are on all that. I am a terrible negotiator, terrible. I'm that guy that says, okay, what do you want? I'm, I'm good with it. And I love having guys that are just skilled in that arena. And Dave is one of those. So Dave, thank you. I want you to hear from us. Thank you very much for serving us that way. And why don't you catch us up on where we are in that, that whole thing. Are we on, Jane? Uh, well, it's <laughs> Now it's working. Uh, I just want to say, before I say anything, what an incredible building God has provided for us. For a new startup church to have a 39,000-foot building, First class like this is at a great location is an incredible blessing. And to have watched God move through this whole thing over the last couple of years has been incredible. When we first started negotiating with the conference center, they were somewhat hostile and said max they would give us was six months. Uh, as of this morning, we now have or will shortly sign a five-year agreement to stay in here. And with a possible option for three more years after that. So potentially eight years, uh, which is just tremendous for the church as a whole. We're able to save money. We should be able to move much faster down the road to building our own building, buying some land. Uh, and again, I just want to finish that up with what an, what an awesome thing that is that God has done yeah. for this church. So yeah. we should all be very thankful for that. Uh, on the land side of this, we have made a couple of uh, contract offers in the last six months. 
As of this moment, we've decided to kind of stand down until maybe the first quarter of next year. Land values seem to be coming down a little bit. Financing is difficult out there. A lot of banks are holding uh, uh, property that they're probably going to be foreclosing on in the next few months. So as a church, we've kind of decided let's just stand down and see what God provides. So if anybody's praying, and I know we all are, uh, one thing you might add into your prayers is that God would just be preparing the hearts of some sellers out there that would have a piece of land that would be ideal for this proper, uh, for the church here. So uh, we need all your prayers. Clearly they've worked. God's providing an awesome facility, and I know that he's going to provide something tremendous in the next few years that we can permanently move into. But for now we have five years plus possibly three more. Great. Any, any questions with that? And, and by the way, this is, these two things work like together on the conference center side and the land side. Because any rentable space in Midlothian that is adequate for us has a time frame of some sort attached to it. That there's a day at some point in the future where they're going to kick us out and they're not going to want us in there. And so these two things work together for us. That, that conference center at some point is going to say no more for you. And we've got to be making plans that, that, that lead us to a direction that's not related to the conference center. And so we're trying to be really diligent on both of those sides. And it has been amazing for us to watch. Like when, when Dave started the negotiations with them, it was six months to a year and see ya. And all of a sudden, it's another two or three years that we were currently in after that, that first year. And now it's opened up to, to five, six, you know, maybe uh, even more. And one of the good sides about all that is we can get out over any one year period of something for us opens up that is a real win for us. And so, um, yeah, so God has been so, so gracious to us in that, that way. And so let's push pause there. Any questions as it relates to the conference center, as it relates to um, poss- like possibilities post-conference center from land to whatever else? And we probably won't get into the philosophy of all that. We, we tried to cover a philosophy of debt of land, buildings, all that stuff in our last family meeting. So if you need that, I'd go back and grab that. That would give you just a, a view of how we're trying to think about all those things. So we tried to cover that in detail in that one. But any, any questions on that, on, on where we are? Yeah, go for it, Brian. Don't you, do you hear that, Dave? Yeah, we, have, we can get out at any time with a one-year notice. So if we decided next year to build a building, if we give them 12 months notice, which it would take at least 12 months to build that building, we have the ability to just walk out of the lease. On their side, they're committed to whatever term we have, which, as I said right now, will be five years, basically. Yeah. So it's a real win for us. Like, it's all that risk is, you know, they're, they're willing to take that. Yep. Any other questions on that? on conference center, where we are, all, all that good stuff. Good there? Okay, and so Dave, and I don't know, I don't see Sean here yet. Um, Dave, Sean, Adam, is Sean here? Oh, oh there he is. <laughs> Sean, Brian McCutcheon, uh, Mike Glass, Adam Fuhr, Chad Parsons, um, I'm missing uh, Marion Hostetler, Bill Stewart. All those guys are on that board that are helping shape um, all that and, and giving good input or, or around that table, making those decisions. And so they're men that are very trustworthy, great guys. If you don't know them, I'd encourage you to get to know them. Um, I think you'd be blessed by it. So, okay, so that is Stonegate Church Conference Center, next steps, kind of all that looped into one. Okay, next thing, number four, is uh, I want to give you just quick updates on where we are financially, just so you'll know that and, and have ways to pray as we kind of move forward. Um, we have roughly $700,000 in the bank now. So, and this is, again, just a testament of the grace of God that he has been so, so gracious with us. And on the other side of that, I want you to hear that that's been very frugal spending on our end of that. That if you've been here with us from day one, you know that staffing has almost always been 
to the extreme side of lean uh, because we know that we have to prepare for what's coming down the road for us. And so we've been as aggressive as possible in, in how we've been saving. And so um, that's where we are as far as just what we have in the bank right now. And then um, I'll give you just two other quick uh, shots of, of 2011 and what's coming in 2012. In 2011, this should be up on, yeah, there you go. Um, our, our kind of rough budget that we've been working with is somewhere in that neighborhood of 415,000. And uh, our receipts are gonna be somewhere in the $800,000 range, God willing, somewhere, somewhere in that vicinity. And so you can just see, I, I wanted you to see that just so you would see that, that we are trying to be very aggressive in how we're approaching that whole arena. And uh, one thing that I think is always worth clarifying is aggressive does not mean we're not active in the mission of God. Um, so, so we wanna be very generous with how we are giving to, to the mission of God around the world and locally. So we're supporting um, four church plants right now. Um, a fifth one is on the horizon for us. Um, we do some micro-mission stuff here locally. And so all that stuff, it's not that we're, we're saving and part of saving means we're not supporting the mission of God. It's supporting the mission of God is primary. We'll save in every other way possible. That makes sense? So just so that's clear and how we're thinking about that. So 2012, um, general rough budget that we're looking at, and this is still projected, we're still kind of massaging this, is somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, kind of the mid fives and with projected receipts somewhere in between 800 and, and probably a million, somewhere in that range is what we're, what we're looking at. And so we, we would you know, continue to ask you to pray over all of that. And, and one of the things I, I wanna just keep addressing within our Stonegate family and uh, covenant members, if you're a visitor and you're just listening, in tonight, then this doesn't apply to you. But when you think about giving, um, we, we want to make sure we reiterate what the grid that we would love for you to think about as you think about your, finance, uh, your finances. Um, the, probably the most common asked question I get as it relates to giving is, do, do you expect a tithe? Is that what you're going after? And I would say no to that. That's not, that, first of all, I'm not after your money in general. That's not what I'm after. Um, I'm, ask, I'm after a gospel heart in you. That's what I'm after. And so um, I don't think, though, I have to give you a law for that. Um, so what, what I would much rather have you do is for you to look at the gospel and say, if my heart is really bought into that, how would, how would I steward what God has entrusted to me? Like if, if my heart is really finding satisfaction in Jesus and not in stuff money can buy, then how would that impact how I spend and how I give for the mission of God? So we want that grid to be over your finances. Um, we want the grid, to, we want the question to be asked, if my heart is bought into the gospel, what would that mean with how I'm handling what God has entrusted to me financially? So we want that, that to continually be before you. And if, if you haven't jumped in and you haven't started giving towards the mission of God in your local church, that that needs to start happening. That, I mean, that's a, that's a natural expression of you being involved in a local church, in the mission through that local church. And so, and for those of you who have, I know so many of y'all, y'all have been giving so sacrificially. And so we want to say thank you for that. that that's an expression of gra the grace of God that has slammed into your heart and started to change the way you think about life. And so it's been a, a great thing for us to see and experience um, that happening here. Okay, so that's big picture financial. Let me uh, stop Q&A on that one. Any, any questions on finances, that, that picture of things? Go on once. Going twice. All right. <laughs> number, number five. That's financial condition. Number five is uh, Stonegate and staffing. Um, okay, so for those of you who have been with us over the last few months, you know that we have hired a few people um, over the last 
probably three months or so. And we, we really came out of probably a, an extended season in our church's life where we were way understaffed. And so it gave us a chance to, to address some of those things and to make a few adjustments that needed to happen within our staff. But here's one of the things that we didn't do a good job of doing over the last three months that I wanna make sure is clarified now. We didn't do a good job of saying, here is exactly how the pieces of our staff fit together to serve our church for building good ministers in our, in our context here. And so I want to make sure that you see a good picture of how all of our staff fits together in that goal, that Ephesians 4.12 goal. That like, and by the way, you, the staff here is not primarily about um, being a slave and doing all the ministry. That's not the goal of staff. The goal of our staff is to be good equippers to make good ministers here, right? And so we want to try to give a picture of how that, that thing fits together for us. And so with that, let me just run through the different staff people we have right now and how these things are working. So number one, um, Kevin Jones, and these are in no particular order. Kevin Jones, he is part-time with us, um, not full-time, part-time. He does a little traveling thing on the side. That's where he is tonight. He's down in, I think, Magnolia, Texas, doing a thing with students. And so um, he does his thing kind of outside of Stonegate as well as service on Sunday morning, um, leading us in, in kind of a corporate worship with the music and also leading that AV team that, that help do for everything from setting up all this stuff to managing this, what, what it feels like and looks like in here. And so Kevin does that whole picture of things. Okay, next one is uh, Dan. And uh, Dan is full-time with us. And Dan's primary responsibilities are uh, student ministry. And I don't know what is redemption groups means, but redemption groups and teardown. He, he's big picture wise over our teardown. And uh, so, I, and I want to take just two seconds to explain redemption groups. That's on the horizon for us. Um, some, a lot of you have probably heard of Celebrate Recovery. Yeah? Some? Yeah, yeah, okay. So redemption groups is like, if we had a critique of Celebrate Recovery, it would be the gospel-centered approach to change. That it probably lends a little too much to behavior modification and not, not heart transformation. And so redemption groups is a, um, essentially, it's, it's a view of recovery that gets the gospel right in the middle of it. And so um, it's a walk through the book of Exodus that uh, puts you in good community for an extended season of time where people can press on and kind of poke around on where unbelief in your heart is and how the gospel would apply to, to the issues that you're trying to work through. So we could not be more excited about redemption groups on the horizon for our church. Um, it's going to be in January that we have the first kind of a group that happens for our place. It will primarily be around our home group leaders. Um, and as soon as we can kind of get through that crew of people, hopefully by maybe next fall, would you say, Dan, is when it would be open to probably our church-wide, all of us. So there is a ton of work involved, though, from going from nobody at our place knows anything about redemption groups to us actually being ready to do redemption groups here. And so um, big picture-wise, we would view redemption groups as something that could be a cultural change just in the climate around our place. And so it's that big of a deal on the horizon for us. So Dan is right in the middle of that. So student ministry, redemption groups, and kind of overseeing teardown and all that is Dan. Next one is Travis. Travis is full-time. Travis started on uh, uh, roughly the, the beginning of June. He does home groups and leadership development. Would probably throw that thing into one big picture. Um, so home groups and leadership development. Leadership development would be um, everything from our membership class to um, developing good godly leaders around our church. Um, and so, and then home groups, it's, it's everything from setting up the systems and structures that support home groups to helping develop good home group leaders. That whole picture falls under Travis. He also, from a big picture level, 30,000 foot level, is in charge of setup and uh, giving directional oversight to preschool. 
So he's not like a boots on the ground in preschool, but he's directionally oversight of preschool. And so I want to throw these two names in here for you too. Nanette Mills and Kelly Conaway are our two preschool directors. And so um, they're in there right now serving our kids and they do, they're doing a really, really good job. And now with that, I, I want to just take one step back and I will say this on children's, really in all of our ministries. That there needs to be a ton of grace in all of our ministries right now. Primary reason why, two reasons. One, most of the people that are leading our ministries are not paid. They're volunteers like you are. And uh, secondly, we're a two-year-old church. And so I, I think you should just carry into it the assumption there's going to be a lot of immaturity in a lot of different areas of our church, really every area of our church. Um, it would be a strange, strange thing if we were mature as a two-year-old in any area, right? And so there just needs to be a ton of grace that you have as you deal with children's people, youth people, all of our people. All of us, right? And so there just needs to be a ton of like a gracious spirit there as you deal with that. So um, that's Annette and that's Kelly in, in preschool and that's Travis, big picture wise, what he's got going on. Okay, next one is KC. KC is a church planting resident. Um, he is full-time, but there's a little star by that. He's raising half of his salary as he is on staff with us. Um, so he, Casey is probably not a long-term guy for us. Um, we feel like, and he feels like, he is called to pastor and probably plant a church. And so um, we're trying to, to get him in a situation where he can, he can be in a place where he's planting from a positive model for him to where he's not planting just out of a negative experience, but out of a positive one. So where he can replicate things and do things um, like it's being done here and uh, get set up well to start with. And so, um, so he's full-time, but he's raising part of his, of his salary. Directional um, oversight over children's ministry. And so from a 30,000 foot level, KC is helping the, the people who do children's ministry in there. And, uh, and underneath that, let me go ahead and throw the next slide on there too. Krista Fagala is the director of our 9 a.m. service in children. And Billy O is the director of the 11 a.m. But I wanna throw one more name out to you as well. If you don't know the children's area, another one you'd probably, or if you do know the children's area, you'd probably know Jennifer Curran as well. I'm not sure if Jennifer is here. There she is. Jennifer has a huge hand in the middle of that too. Um, did an incredible thing this summer, uh, Bug Club, that was great. And so um, they all kind of help on the volunteer side push that, that children's ministry ball. And all three of those guys are doing a wonderful job as they lead out in children's ministry. So KC is, is in charge of the directional oversight of that and uh, bringing us some good missional maturity, how we're thinking locally and globally as far as mission goes. Um, Casey's helping some, bring some maturity to that. Um, greeting, he's over that from a 30,000 foot level. And then about 100 miscellaneous projects that we give him along the way. So he's that catch-all guy as far as it relates to that. And so um, that's Casey. And then next one is Jessica. Jessica, we also hired in the middle of June to help with some admin work for us because we were absolutely swamped. And is Jessica in the room? Where is she? Right back here is Jessica. Jessica has done an incredible job for us. She is part-time, also does a photography business on the outside and has done a great job. She's helped give some good... Um, stability to our finances and recording all of our contributions, all of those things, she's helped um, play a big role in that. So Jessica, we appreciate you very, very much. So th this is our staff, and this is, this is kind of who it is that God has brought to us that um, are helping serve you. Okay, now, and just to reiterate that, though, that staff are, th their job, like when I talk to them about their job, it is never your primary job is to do things here. Like it's, their primary job is to equip our church body for the work of ministry. That's their job, right? And so I think it's important that we all see that that's the job of a, of a staff person around here is equipping the saints for you, for the work and work. Like ministry is hard work. It's, it's work, right? For the work of ministry. Okay, so let me push pause. Any questions on the staffing front that you might have?
Any questions there? Yes, sir. Uh, Brian McCutcheon is our admin for the city. Yeah. We probably should have put that up there. That's been like a full-time job over the last six months. <laughs> yeah. So, Brian, yeah, Brian McCutcheon is, he is the, the guy rolling the city ball for us. Okay, any other questions? Going once, staffing, okay. Going twice, yep, we're done. Okay, next, uh, next one, number six, Stonegate and the city. That was a good lead in, Kyle, thank you. Stonegate and the city. Okay, so for, for those of you who don't know what the city is, um, it, it is our way of doing all of our communication. So all of our communication in our church, from children to preschool to how we try to, to, to communicate to volunteers to every part of our communication now, we're trying to get it streamlined through the city. And so with that, it is very important that you jump in the stream of that communication. Okay, now I wanted to, to throw three things out as it relates to the city to encourage you on. Number one is keeping your info up to date. Most churches, it takes a full-time secretary just for that job, right? And so the city does all of that for us, and it's something you have to manage. Like, so if you have a change of address or a phone number change or a whatever change, then you need to make sure that stuff gets updated into the city so we have an accurate database. So if we need to get a hold of you or your who, whoever, that we, we've got that all, that whole system is done. And so if you'll make sure that happens, and one of the things in there as well, that we have an instant um, like photo directory with the city. And so make sure you get a good profile picture that has a good picture of your face. So that way um, people can know like not only your name, but your face that's associated with that. Don't be the shady gray person, right? Y'all know the shady gray person. <laughs> Don't be them. And so, uh, so we, we want to encourage you to make sure that you keep your information up to date. And one part of that as well is that every family needs like individual accounts. And so like if you are a, a husband in your family, you need an account and your wife needs an account, right? So both of you do. Okay, so that's, that's part one. Part two is uh, you need to make sure you're in the right groups. This is probably our biggest problem on the city right now is we're not in the correct groups. And so chances are, especially for the guys in this room, that you did not read the introductory welcome PDF. Am I right? Yeah, you didn't do that, okay? So it would be a great thing for you to do that because it's gonna make sure that you're in every group that you need to be in. It, it, everyone in our church right now needs to be in the theology forum but there's probably a quarter of our church in there. Theology form is where we post all of our notes from the sermons. Um, all of those things happen in the theology form. You need to be in that group. If you're a woman in, the group, or in our church, you need to be in the women's group. If you're a man, you need to be in the man's group, right? So, so you need to make sure you're in the right groups. If you open up, if you jump on the city under the big Stonegate Church group, the top post in there is a welcome email. If you open that email, it'll tell you every group that you need to be in, and we would love for you to be in those groups. So make sure you're in the right groups. That's the big picture, uh, number two. Number three is uh, covenant members in the city. So if you would consider yourself a covenant member here, you, you've been a part of this, you're, you're in both feet. It is essential that, that you don't push back and that you jump into the city, right? And so in our membership class now, if, if you were in the last go around of Discover Stonegate, we do a whole section now on the city. And this is how we present it to people coming into our church now. Part of you linking up with our church is you linking into the city. That's just a part of the deal here. So if you want to get in the line of communication, if you're going to stay in the flow of what's going on, then, then you getting your life kind of around that whole thing. We're not asking you to spend three hours a day on the city, all right? Well, that's not what we're asking. We're just asking you to get your email set up that way. All that stuff is happening where 
where you get the information as it comes out from our church. And so just a part of being a member here, a covenant member, is linking up your life, getting that thing directed and where city stuff, it, it, you're in the stream of communication. Okay, now with that, let me stop and say any questions about the city. Brian has a mic, and so if you've got questions, he's going to answer them because I probably don't know them. So any questions on the city, problems that you had, whatever. Anything that I missed there, Brian, that you would like to go at, feel free to. Jennifer. Yeah. Website is going to stay as basic as possible. Um, here's how we view the website, just as a general rule. It is primarily for guests. And so if you, it's amazing to me now that I would guess probably four out of five, probably 80% of the people that come to our church always check out the website first and probably download a sermon and listen to it before they ever get here. It's just amazing how that works now. And so we, we, we view that, that external website as primarily a, if you're a guest of our place, we know you're probably going to stop off there before you ever shake our hand or see our face. And so it's primarily geared for that. And the city is primarily geared for you as a member of our of our place. Yeah. Any more questions? <laughs> Question is, how do you change the gender of a particular child? Um, you can come, come see me afterwards and I can help you with that. Yeah. <laughs> One, one a, of my favorite messages that I've gotten on the city so far was Ramey Hudson. I don't know how many of y'all know Ramey. Asking, how do you do a sex change on the city, right? Oh, I don't right, know how to respond to that. Yeah. Don't even know. Yeah. He shoots me that message. Uh, can, can you take care of that? No. No, to, just, um, oh, to just add on what Ronnie said, we, we actually currently, as of today, we have 433 users on the city. I think since we launched earlier this year, that's an incredible uptake in terms of people when we think about an average of 555 in the month of August. So quite a number of you are using the city. Now, it's one thing to be on the city, have an account. It's another to actually use the city and effectively. And so that being said, like Ronnie said, make sure your updated information is out there, your picture, the right groups you're in. And importantly, a part of being in the right groups is the notification settings for your email. Some of you I know have perhaps you know, gotten, uh, uh, taken away particular groups where you're like, oh, I'm just inundated with email. There's particular email settings so that you can say, hey, if there's a, something new posted to that group, it'll email you immediately perhaps not advisable unless there's a, you know, a need for that, uh, or a daily digest, or if you, know, if you want to see everything. So there, there's a, a kind of a granularity of the notification that you can have there, so you can really reduce down. I know I'm a member of a ton of groups, and I have to be very careful as to what the notification settings are. I'll just you know, inundate my inbox. So that being said, I think that for the, the grand majority of you are, are doing well on the city. The one area that we continue to improve is around children check-in. 
Uh, those of you who have children that are checking in in the mornings, that's a, a ever-improving process. We're going to be doing some additional training of the check-in and greeting uh, volunteers over the next month to handle some of the more basic procedures, resetting of passwords, et cetera, so we can make that even more efficient. And you're going to see some things along that line to just make the overall uh, process a, a better experience for, for everyone. And so with that, as well as some of the additional features that the city is coming out with. I mean, this, this software has only been around for two years. So as you can imagine, you know, what they've been able to do has been pretty incredible. But there's new things, like there's a new mobile site, there's gonna be an iPhone app by the end of this year. So there's some really exciting things going on that will definitely communicate and do an even better job of communicating some of those features that we can uh, make sure and, and take advantage of. So I would encourage you, if you're not on, to get on. And if you are on, then let's start using it even more effectively. Any questions on the city? Yes, ma'am. So the question is, when you want to post something to a group or have an event or a prayer request, ask you who do you want to send it to? What do all those things mean? There's actually, in fact, Rodney referred to it, this little pamphlet of the city that's available on Sunday mornings that will tell you that. But basically, you just know that if you want to post something, it will go to the members or the participants in that particular group. If you then want to say, hey, I not only want to send it to those participants in this group, but also this other group or these additional friends, right, then you can also do that as well. Yes. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, f I think basically what it's asking is there's a, there's a leadership one where it, just the leadership in your group, those that are selected as managers or leaders in your group, or a ma all, just men in your group, or just women. So I think you've got options like that. Probably the easiest thing, if you've got a, a technicality question, probably like that, as soon as we finish, I've got my computer over there, Brian's going to hang out, and uh, if you've got a question, it'd probably be easier to get something like that answered there, yeah. yeah. So go yeah. for that. And if you've got any more like that, feel free to. Yeah, I'm going to hang out with this uh, Apple product over here and, and you know, take. Uh, <laughs> Brian works for Microsoft. Things. God bless him, right? I mean, I'm telling you. Uh, Xbox, great. Um, <laughs> so as well, if you have any questions, feel free to email city at stonegate-church.com. Also, Jessica has been doing a great job of collecting uh, questions and, and uh, having folks uh, ask her stuff so she can, you know, filter that to, to me. So happy to, happy to help. Okay. Are we good? Any more questions on the city? Yes. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Essentially, she's saying if, if you've got something in the marketplace or something like that and it's outdated, you probably want to take that off. So marketplace is probably a, a whole realm that most of you haven't even discovered yet. It's awesome, yeah. right? And, and we really, <laughs> we're really looking to the home group leaders to, to have an active role in kind of overseeing their group on the city. So things like archiving of particular posts, so forth, that would encourage the home group leaders to you know, use it at their discretion of what you think is appropriate to, to delete or keep on, et cetera, specific to that home group. 
And, and if there are a lot of questions that you have, and if there's enough of y'all that need to get together to try to figure some things out, we could do a training on a Sunday morning in an off hour or something like that. And so let us know. If you've got questions, we can probably try to hook up with you and, and get those answered for you. So, okay, so that's the city. Last thing, and then we're going to move on to just some, what I really wanted to get to, and then we'll pray. Um, number seven is Stonegate and overall friendliness. I just want to address this really quickly and uh, let you know kind of what's happening here. For the first time in two years, this has been over the last probably three or four months, um, I think we have had some of our first kind of moments of people coming in and people leaving, and after a couple of weeks span, them saying, man, there has been nobody make a step toward me as I've come in and out of this place. And so, okay, now let me back up, and I think you could say this, that there's probably some issues on their part with that, right? And so, but let's get past that, and let's talk about our part in that, because I think that also points to some issues in us. And so, um, so one way is to address this from a narrow focus, addressing it from we need to do like revamp our greeting system. And we're kind of in, in the process of that. Um, we, when we made it, we made it for a church of probably 150 rather than a church of 550. And so, uh, so we're in the process. That's one of KC's things that he's doing right now, working with Dave and Chad and a couple of guys to, to get that whole system revamped to where it is adequate to have I mean, it's, it's really been amazing watching how many new people have come through our door just on a typical Sunday morning. Um, I mean, it wouldn't be abnormal at all to have anywhere between eight and probably even upwards of 20 people at times that are new first-time guests that are here on a Sunday. And so that's a lot to handle for a, a, you know, an initial system that had 150 people in mind. And so we're revamping it on that level. So that's from a narrow perspective. But here's the thing. Even if we revamp it and do a great job, like we have got top-of-the-line, first-class greeting systems figured out. That doesn't change the cultural issue of our church that lends itself to this. And so from a, from a big, wide-angle perspective, I want to make sure that, that we're addressing this culturally with, with you as you come in and out on a Sunday morning, that you're coming with, with a view for other people as well. I like to think about it like this when you're coming to church, that you're coming, um, coming with a view for God and you're leaving with a view of people. That's how you're thinking about how, how, how you think about a Sunday morning. Coming with, God, I want to I meet you, and, and leaving with, I want to meet some new folks around this place, right? And so we want that to be the culture of our place. We are not going to be a friendly church, it doesn't matter how good our greeting system is, if you don't have a mindset that means I'm going to be friendly to people when I walk in here. Like, I'm actually going to be looking for people. Okay, so with that, I um, wanted to give you three ideas as it relates to this that we'd just love for you to consider um, doing as it relates to being friendly and creating a culture of friendliness around here. One goes like this. Um, try sitting in different places. Isn't it amazing how we're creatures of habit? So if you sit in the same spot every week, chances are you're just going to see those people that sit in like those two pews around you or chairs around you. Um, every week. And so just, just maybe take, take a moment and, and jump to a different part of the, of the uh, sanctuary on a Sunday morning. And what you'll find is those other people that are creatures of habits, you're going to get to know a different crew because they're going to be in the same spots week in, week out, right? And so, um, so maybe try sitting in some different spots around on Sunday morning. Okay, second thing. Um, hey, and if you're real crazy, try front row. It's me and you, all right? It's just me and you there. <laughs> so sit in, sit in a new place. Number two is that remember the three-minute rule. Okay, so here's what we try to tell everyone that comes into our place here in Discover Stonegate. We try to highlight three-minute rule. That for the first three minutes after a sermon's over, we say amen and it's, it's done. For you to spend three minutes not talking to people you know. 
And I mean, if you just watch yourself in a, in a social context, here's what happens for all of us. We naturally gravitate where conversation is easy. It's just what we naturally do. And so if you don't intentionally fight against that, you'll never go after new people around here. And so just for the first three minutes, for you to have the mindset of, I am not going to talk to people I know. I'm going to go find people and talk to people I don't know. And, and one of the barriers that you have to get through when you're a church that is about our age with a lot of new people is you've probably said hi to people a couple of times and you've introduced yourself. They've introduced themselves to you. You kind of know each other, but you still have no idea what their name is. You know, that whole situation. So it's okay to get a name four times if you have to. I would rather you get a name 10 times and feel really goofy the 10th time asking for it again, rather than us letting a person slip through without ever getting their name. That makes sense? So, so just the general idea of that three-minute rule, that as soon as we finish on, on a Sunday morning, three minutes, you're going after people that we don't know. And if you're a home group and you're trying to grow a home group, and that should be like throwing a dog bone in the middle of some bulldogs right there, right? They're all over the place. Just go get them, and they're in your home group this week, right? And so, um, so that you, you've got that mindset, three-minute rule after a service. And last one, I mean, this would be one of those that if you think about, like there, there's maybe a couple different ways that, that we can serve a guest when they come in. One way is to meet their expectations, right? That's your bottom shelf level. You just meet bottom shelf expectations. Like I got information on where the preschool is. I know where the kids ministry is. They pointed me to the worship center. They had coffee that was decent. Just bottom line expectations, whatever those are. Then there's another way that you can like go way beyond what their bottom line expectations are. And that's what we'd really like to do in the way we serve and bless our new folks that come in. And so trying to think about ways that you can do that and creating cultural air that does that around here. Like if you, if you would just take one Sunday in a month, one Sunday in a month, and that, for that to be your eat out Sunday and for you to ask a new person that comes to Stonegate to go with you. Maybe you do that around your home group where you're inviting them into your crew, your home group crew. But you have one Sunday a month where you're going to go out and eat or out and do something along that line. Um, and, and you invite people to go with you on that one Sunday. I think that's just one of those things that if that culturally started to happen, if you picture yourself as a new guest coming into a church, um, that is way beyond what you expect out of a, out of a place, Right. And so that, that's how we want to serve and bless. So we just encourage you to make sure you're thinking along those lines with us, that you're helping create air around here that is friendly and welcoming to, to new folks. Okay, any questions with that? Yes, sir. Yep. It is a little bit strategic, and so, and I think it fits in generally with the, uh, we want to have, I, I feel a little bit weird telling you to come to church totally looking for, for new people, and so I, I want there to be a balance of, we want you to come looking for God, and we want you to leave looking for people, and so I think it is a little bit strategic in that way that uh, we would love for you, this would be another way to create cultural air that lends itself in this direction. Rather than us taking a four or five minute section out of a service for that, is for you to get here five minutes early. I know that's novel, right? I know this is getting crazy. And so, uh, but if we got here five minutes early, I think that the same sort of a thing could be accomplished and it doesn't cut into us staying late at the back end. And so um, it, it, it is, a, it is for, yeah, we, we want to start with announcements and go straight in without an interruption in the midst of that. So it is strategic. We're trying to condense that down. Any other questions? Yes, ma'am, Jenny. Is there a way as you're kind of to bring better 
Yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. So it, it, I think this is really hard because we're walking the balance between you don't want to like ostracize them and like do a, hey, visitor, stand up and let everybody look at you for a second, you know? And so there's like this balance of trying to identify them and at the same time allowing them to blend in enough to where they're, they're still comfortable. And so I think our greeting guys will have to wait through that and we'll get you an update on that as soon as they try to work through that revamp and what that looks like. So we'll get back to you on that. It is a, it is a tough balance. I, I totally hear your heart in that. I want to know who these people are so I can go serve them and bless them and all that. Um, so there is that, that rough kind of tension. I feel it too. Okay, any other questions on that? Okay. Last thing I want to do is, um, and this is really the angst of the night, and uh, let's see here. We've got about, um, I've got about 15 or 20 minutes to run through this, and we're going to finish by praying together for a little while. But um, angst of the night is I, I want to um, express some pastoral, I think I would go concerns on one side, and I'm going to express those concerns in the form of prayers, though. And so um, some pastoral prayers for our place that I want to invite you in on praying with you know, with us for these things in our, in our church. And, and again, this is where I want you to see that our measurements are not built on the size of our place, but the maturity and the gospel-centeredness of our place. And so with that, let me just run through these. I've got three of them. They relate to gospel, community, and mission under those three headings. And I want to try to make sense of these things for you and, and give you some things to be praying for, for um, our church family. So under gospel, um, more and more, we want us progressively seeing the comprehensive nature of the gospel. Ephesians 3 paints the, the picture of the gospel as the unsearchable riches of Christ. And we want more and more our church family seeing that the gospel is both foundation, it's the way you become a Christian, and it's motivation. It's the way you make progress in this thing. That the gospel is how God changes. It's through the Spirit working the gospel deeper and deeper into our heart. So we're, we're praying that that would become a deeper awareness around our place of what the gospel is is, that when people ask you a question, what's the gospel, that you have got a rich, robust answer to that. Um, one of the ways I like to think about it is the four questions of, of who is Jesus? Jesus is God, like he's God in the flesh, shows us what God is like. He is, um, he's also a, a man, like he lived a perfect life, submitted to the, to, to the Father. Um, he's the Savior. So you've got this who is Jesus question. You've got um, the what did Jesus do? He lived a perfect life in place of our imperfect life. He died an undeserving death in place of our deserved death. So you've got this what did Jesus do issue. And then you've got this um, what, what, was, what, what must we do? Repent and believe, put our faith in Jesus, um, trusting and treasuring God. Um, so it's the surrender of our life and this treasuring God above all things, what we must do. And then you've got this idea of what happens to us. And this is huge. Okay, now think about this piece of it with the gospel, because this is where I want to kind of go from here, is when you think about what the gospel does to us, it, through the gospel is, is God's means of forgiving us. So we're cleansed, we're redeemed, we're reconciled to God. So this is how God brings us into relationship. It's how he adopts us into the family is through the gospel. And it's how he commissions us as missionaries. So all of those things are implications of a big, comprehensive, rich, and robust view of the gospel. Okay, so if you're going to express maybe pastoral prayer number one, it would go like this. That our lives are being progressively shaped by the gospel. Progressively shaped by it. So, so when you think of gospel implications, you've got like these gospel implications. We went through the four Gs back in um, last spring. So that we're living more and more in the approval, like the grace of God, the approval that the gospel gives us, 
that a deep, uh, like a deeper awareness that, that God has stamped his approval on us so we don't have to live for the approval of people. Um, a deep awareness that God is great for us. He's a good dad for us, working all things out for, for our good in the end, or Romans 8, 28. That, that we're living in a deeper and deeper awareness of these things. Okay, so our lives are being progressively shaped by the gospel. We want to invite you to pray for our church family for that issue. That is huge. Okay, that leads to two kind of primary implications that if you want to start measuring how, how much is your gospel, are your life being shaped by the gospel? How, how large is the gospel looming in, in your heart, that, that issue? We want you to think maybe through th- this grid to determine that. So, so this, these two things of community and mission, I think form a good grid for you to think of how deep are my roots in the gospel? Okay, so two grids, community and mission. So let me try to unpack both of these. So community, let, we'll deal with this one first. And I'm not gonna spend much time here because I wanna get to mission and spend the, the rest of our time there. But community, we're essentially saying this, that, that when you become a Christian and God saves you, then one of the things he does is he gives you a people. Gives you both a people, that's community, and a purpose, that's mission. But he gives you a people. So this is Ephesians 1.5 where it says when God sets his affection and love on you, that he adopts you into the family. And if you've been adopted into God's family, that means now you've got a new crew of brothers and sisters that are actually more weighty and more eternal than your physical brothers and sisters. Kind of a, a, I heard a guy say this recently. We were um, chatting with a guy and he just expressed that uh, man, in Christ, I'm your brother. I, I, that's how I relate to you. You're, you're not just a friend to me. You're really like a brother in Christ. So how I would treat my brother in this situation, how I would love him, how I would press him is how I need to love and press on you in this. And so for that being like this communal aspect of what's happening here. So God has adopted us and he's adopted us into a family. So that means that the way we relate to each other in a church is brother and sister, family, communal, that sort of a thing. Okay, now with that, I wanna press two issues underneath community. Number one is this. It is vital that you are known, that you're known. So I wanna ask you a question. Do people know you? Like, I'm talking to they seriously know you, like the ins and outs of you. Heart issues, struggles. I mean, do people know you? Okay, now here's how this rolls out for you. And most people aren't known, by the way. Uh, Most people that come in and out of our church on a Sunday morning are not known at all. Okay, now now a lot of us in here would say we are pretty pretty known, though. People do kind of have a good idea of who we are. But here's, here's, I want to just throw this out to you gently here. If you are 99% known, and 1% unknown, here's what that means. You're unknown. You know what I'm saying? That means if you're like giving 99% of yourself to people, but there's a 1% that's still hidden, still in the dark, still in the secret little closet that you keep, nobody goes in there. If you're 99% known and 1% unknown, you're still unknown. And so we, we want you to know that how we see community rolling out in this place is for you walking in such a way that you are 100% known, that there's not like a secret compartment in your life that people don't peer into, that people don't have access to, that, that you open 100% of yourself up, right? Okay, now think about the gospel's implication of this. You'll never do that if you're out to win the approval of people. But when you start living in the approval that, that God gives you through the work of Jesus, you know what? You don't have to measure up to people anymore. You're not living for their approval anymore. It makes it, so much, it makes it so much easier to open up that door and bring out all those nasty skeletons, right? And so, but that's a gospel implication to get there. 
So are you 100% known? That's the question. And, and for our home groups, this is what, what we're going after with the community aspect of our home groups, that people will be walking in these home groups 100% known. Okay, here's the second part of community. Um, we're at a crisis point with community at our, just within the Stonegate family. And we're at a crisis because of this. Right now, we do not have enough home group leaders to put our, our church family into. If everyone in our church t- Sunday said, we want to be in a home group, we would be like, sorry, you can't be, you're, we, we can't have you in a home group yet. And so um, with that, we, we are in a point where we, I, we need new home group leaders and we need them really quickly. Now, we are okay with saying you cannot get into a home group yet to make sure our home groups stay good. So we're committed to that. But I don't think it has to be like, a, like the, these two options on this side. I think we can have enough home groups in our place. And so if that's something that God is pressing on you in, um, we would love to get you down like the pipeline to plant a home group at some point in the future. So if that's you, Travis is right back here in the back. We would love for you to see Travis at some point, And uh, we would love for you to start marching in that direction, planting a home group at some point around our place. Um, and so, so we want you to know we need that. That, that. that pipeline has got to start filling up or crisis is in our future as it relates to 16 home groups with 550 people at our church, right? Okay. Okay, so last thing, and then we'll, we'll kind of finish with this, and then we'll, we'll pray for a few minutes, is um, want to address mission. And this is really, I think if I had one angst for the night, this is the angst. Um, <clears throat> the gospel not only creates a people, but the gospel creates a purpose for a Christian, that, that it also gives you a mission to live on and to live with. So I want to clarify what our strategy is to accomplish the mission of God, getting the gospel out in our community, what that strategy is. Every church has to have a strategy. You can either go programs. Um, so we're going to build the best and, and biggest student ministry, the best and biggest children's ministry, the best and biggest preschool. You can go the program route. You can go the facility route. I mean, this is the field of dreams. You build it. They will come mentality. You can go that route. Um, okay, now here's the route we're going to reach people is you. That's our plan. And we don't have like a plan B in that. So, so you're the plan to reach people. Our strategy is completely built on you getting the gospel around you. So you displaying it with your life and declaring it with your lips. Primarily built on that. We, call it, we say it this way. We're primarily missional. Secondarily, hopefully a distant secondary attractional. Okay, so primarily missional. Okay, so with that, I, I want to try to clarify why it is that we're like that. Okay, so I want this to make sense to you. So it's not just, okay, so this is how we do it. But for you to see why it is that we feel like it's so vital that you get on mission and we get on mission around here. Okay, so I, I want to walk you through this graph. We started to incorporate this now in our Discover Stonegate, but most of you have not, you've seen this in a series about a year ago now, but you've probably forgotten it. So let me throw this back out to you. Okay, early church. This is, this is a picture of what life was like in the early church. The church was on the margins. In other words, it wasn't central in culture. So if you go back to and read Acts, it's really obvious that one, Jesus was on the margins of culture. He was not like the cultural, yeah, let's go to that guy person. He wasn't that. He wasn't, on the, he wasn't in the middle of the cultural kind of stream. He was on the margins of it. And his followers were on the margins. People thought Christians were crazy in the first century. They called them atheists in the first century right? Because they weren't worshiping all the gods that the people worship. Kind of ironic. Um, so so the, the church was on the margins in the first century, but the church did great on the margins because the church embraced and lived in the mission, 
right? And so they had a go and tell mission, which is the next slide. They, had a, they were a go and tell people. They were primarily missional. This is in Acts 1.8 where they were embracing this. You're going to Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth and you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to have the gospel around your life, displaying it with your life and you're going to be witnesses that declare it with your lips. So they were primarily missional. And because they were primarily missional, the church on the margins, this church that looks like this, culture over here, the, the, the church over, over kind of on the margins of it, just a little bit of overlap. The church did great for three centuries. It blows up to the point that if you get into the fourth century now, you've got Christendom that happens. For those of you who know your, your kind of your church history in the fourth century, um, I think it was like 313, um, Constantine became emperor, and he decided that he was going to kind of turn the whole Roman Empire towards Christianity. So now you've got a, a whole different view of how the church and culture relate. Now it's church that is right in the center of culture, right? So, okay, now that ushers in kind of this idea of Christendom. Okay, now for those of you who don't, have never heard of that word, Christendom is just a, a word to describe how the culture and church relate to one another. And Christendom has, has church right in the middle of culture, where um, culture literally kind of is, is supported underneath by the church, and the church kind of sits over it kind of as an umbrella. So the way people speak in, a, in Christendom has a churchy feel about it. They use Bible language to describe things. Institutions are Christianized. People just have a, maybe one of the ways you can think about Christendom is even when you're not a Christian, you're Christianized. You, you have the vocabulary in you. You value what Christians value. You devalue the behavior that the, the Bible doesn't like. And so in Christendom, um, if you're gay, then you're just bashed in Christendom. If you live, um, you've got, uh, if you're a man and you have a, a wife and you're faithful to her, then you're not. I mean, that, that's upheld and that's really like raw, raw, right? So this is Christendom. Things are Christianized. As a general way, how the culture relates to church is the culture feels like church. Okay, now here is how church adapted to that new cultural landscape. Rather than being a go and tell people, the church became a come and see people. So now it's the church not going and telling a message, not, not primarily missional anymore, we're primarily attractional. Now it's the church saying, come and see what we do here. So it's no longer I'm gonna go and tell in my neighborhood, it's I'm gonna go to my neighborhood, I'm gonna give them an invitation, maybe on a nice little printed little postcard, give them an invitation and invite them to come and see all the crazy stuff happening inside the church, right? So, so this is Christendom. And here's the thing. I, I don't want to bash it as if it's all bad. Chances are, if you're a Christian in this room, you got saved in a come and see place. Come and see. So it, it was a place that said, hey, come and see this guy. He's going to preach to you. So come and see this guy. He's going to do the preaching. And here we go. And so rather than you sharing the gospel, you probably outsourced that or somebody outsourced that and you heard a youth minister or you heard a pastor share the gospel and they gave you the gospel and you responded and in that moment, God saved you. So I'm not saying it's all bad. So don't, don't hear me saying that. There, there are some good things in it. The church can be come and see and as long as the, the culture is Christianized, it actually works okay. People are gonna come and see. They value the same sort of stuff that you value. They're in with that. They wanna come and see what's happening inside the church right? Okay, now here, here's the switch. Current reality is that now the church is no longer in the center. We're, we're, we've moved back out to the margins, okay? So this is current landscape. Um, one of the, the just cementing moments in helping me see this was um, a missiologist, his name is Leslie Newbigin, 
um, wrote a book called The Gospel in a Pluralistic Society. And he was chronicling kind of this, this cultural revelation that happened. He, he was a missionary in India. And when he got to India, he came from England. And so when he got to India, there was this, there was this awareness of two things. One, that the culture was not Christianized. So they didn't live in Christendom. And second thing that he noticed was the church was actually doing great because they were on the margins, but they, they had embraced the mission. So they're living on the mission of God together. And the church was doing great there. So they're in a hostile environment, church on the margins. People didn't value Christianity. People didn't like Christianity. It, the, the, the political system didn't kind of help it. None of, they didn't have under God in the, you know, on the dollar bill. Prayer was not in schools for Christians. I mean, all those things were not there. And the church did just fine. It did great in that culture because the church was a go and tell people. Then he was there for 30 years and came back to England. And here's what he noticed when he got back to England. When he left, it was Christendom. When he got back, it was no longer Christendom. The church had moved back to the margins, but here's the problem that he had when he just watched the church. It still had a come and see posture from the margins. Okay, now do you see the problem here? What, what happens? When, when church is no longer, like when the culture is no longer Christianized, but, but the church does not adapt to no longer being in the center, we adopt our come and see posture when the culture doesn't care to come and see. That makes sense? Okay, so here's how this plays out. As a church, we have grown dramatically in two years, but we have grown dramatically primarily with Christianized people. Okay, now here's, what, here's how a church grows with Christianized people. As long as we do better than church, uh, any church down the road, chances are, as a Christian, you're gonna care about that. And you're gonna look at a church that you would perceive as doing a little better job at something I don't know what your bent was in that, but, but something you, you clicked in your mind that they're doing it a little bit better than this place, whatever X place that you were going or had an affinity, whatever. And so you jumped on board with us. And so how, how we have primarily grown is with Christianized people, a come and see posture. Okay, now here's what I'm saying. It can't stay that way for us. It can't stay that way. And so I, I am thankful that we've grown with Christian. If, if all we would have grown with was non-believers, it would be crazy around here, right? But if all we do is grow with, with Christianized people, it's just as bad in a different direction, right? We want both of those. We, we, we want to serve people who were dry and de-churched and all of that. We want to serve people in that position, but we want to see people saved by the gospel. Amen. We want to see that happen. Okay, now here's, here's the catch. The only way your atheist neighbor, your agnostic, doesn't care about Christianity neighbor, wasn't raised in the church, don't, doesn't care about the church, doesn't, the only way they are going to be saved is by you getting the gospel around your life and on your lips. That is the only way. It doesn't work for, if you've got a Muslim neighbor, it does not work to give them a pamphlet of how great Stonegate is. You know, it doesn't work. And okay, now take the Muslim piece out of that and let's just say they're an agnostic. They don't care about the church. It doesn't work to say, I've got this preacher we love. You wouldn't believe the kids' ministry. It doesn't, they don't care about those things. You see the problem there? If we can reach Christianized people around this culture and probably grow a bigger church, we could probably do that if we say just like we are. But that is not what we're going after as a church. 
Hey, we want you to feel free to invite your friends that, that you know as a Christian, this would fit. Some, we want you to feel free. To, we want to serve them, but we want to do more than reach that segment of our community. We also want to reach the segment of our community that doesn't care how good our stuff is here. Th- 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 those people in your neighborhood. Okay, so here's what that means for us practically. That means unless you get the gospel around your, your, your life, declaring it from your lips, that people in your neighborhood that, are, that don't care about the church, the only way we're going to reach them is through you. So I want to ask you these four questions that we went through about a, year, about a year ago now. I want to ask you these four questions and if these things are happening. And if they're not, this would be a great moment for us to be able to publicly repent tonight. And to say, you know what, God, you need to change our heart in this. The gospel needs to sink itself down to the bottom floors of our heart where this is being produced in our life, right? Okay, so let me ask you these four questions and we'll wrap it up and pray. Number one, have you had ever in your, we'll say the last six months, we'll say the last year. Have you had in the last year the joyful experience of watching God use your life, kind of display the gospel, and your lips to declare the gospel for the salvation of a friend, coworker, and neighbor. Does that happen? See, because here's what everyone in Christendom, in Christianized culture, in come and see world, here's when, when we think our people being saved at Stonegate, what we naturally think is at the end of the service, what happens? Rather than a, a primarily missional thinks this, and the people that I know at Stonegate, do we know people that are lost? Are we seeing people saved through our life and through our lips? Okay, so, so has that happened? Now, I'm going to assume, and almost nobody in here has that happened. I think it's like um, uh, Evangelism Explosion did a thing, this has been years ago, that said something like 96% of all Christians never see someone saved through their life, right? 96%. So I'm going to assume that probably hadn't happened yet. Number two, here's the second question. And these are all built on one another. Number two, in the last six months, have you had any gospel conversations with those who don't know Jesus? See, chances are we're not going to see people saved here through our life and lips if we're not having conversations here, right? These two things work together. And we'll even give you the last year, two years, however long you want. Is that, is that happening? Gospel conversations happening. Third question. In the last six months, have you had anyone into your home for dinner that doesn't know Jesus? So it's a relational question. Are, are you getting to know people that don't know Jesus? And like all, and remember, all three of these linked, are linked together. I, it, we, we're not going to see God save people through our life and lips if we don't have gospel conversation. And we're not going to have gospel conversation unless we actually know people who are not Christians. You see how, I mean, see how the link there, the logic in those? And when we say no, we're not talking about, I know they live across the street. We're talking about, like, we know their names, we know their kids, we know, we, we know them. Like, they know us, we know them. Like, we, we chat, we talk, we have people over. Like, we, we do stuff together, right? We're talking about that sort of no. Across the dinner table, sort of no. Are, are we there with, with people that don't know Jesus? Okay, and the last one is, are you consistently praying for someone that doesn't know Jesus? So a neighbor a uh, coworker, uh, you name it. Somebody in your relational circles in a normal week. Are you praying for them? Okay, now all of these are intricately related. It, what praying does is it gets, it gets things on the, the radar for us as we live. And then as we start to invite people into our home, it, it builds a relationship where we can have conversations that are a little bit risky. And then as we get to, to, to know, we, we actually get to have those risky conversations along the way. And then we actually get to see people 
saved through our life and lips. Would it not be amazing if you got to baptize somebody here next year, your neighbor, your, your coworker, your whatever? Would that not be amazing if we got, like if you, if I, if we got to baptize somebody like that this year? And that's why we do baptisms that way. We want two stories told. God saved someone and God saved them through a person by using a, a means, typically a person to do that. So wouldn't that be amazing if, if you got to do that this year? If we got to do that? If there was 50 of us this year that got to do that? And listen, th- this is something as a staff, we're, we're on this too. Because we don't want to just preach the gospel from up here. It, it's just as much our call to preach it in our neighborhood as well, to live it in our neighborhood as well. We want to see staff baptizing people this year too. So do you, do you feel the gist here? Here's my angst with where we are as a church. If we stay on this trajectory right now, we will have a big place. We'll build a big church, but we won't build a big kingdom. And I want to build God's kingdom. Amen? I think we all want that. And so the only way that happens around here is by you and I embracing a missionary identity. We're living in the mission of God together. Gospel around our lives, on our lips, in our neighborhood, in our workplace. That that's you and I all pulling in that direction. Okay, let me, let me push pause there and say any questions on that and then we'll break up and pray for just a few minutes. We want you to feel the angst of that. That this is huge for us. Trajectory-wise, when we're 10 years down the road, this moment right here, I think is vital for us. Year two, year three. This is vital that the trajectory of our place goes in that direction. Yes, ma'am. Have you had any that are not we have, we have. So it's just a lingering, not enough in my estimation. So we have, we, we've had some brilliant, great stories. We're going to publish one on the city this week. The Conaways had a neighbor that, I mean, it's an incredible story of God. They've positioned themselves around them, had some good gospel conversations, and wow, they wake up one day, she's knocking on the door saying, I want some of that. That's so a great story, and we want a lot more of them. Any other, any other questions with that? Yes, ma'am. For sure. This is the great thing about being a Christian is we don't have the burden of converting. We get the responsibility and the privilege of sharing. So God is the one that that does all the hard work. We get the easy work in the deal, right? So for sure. Okay, any other questions with this? So I pray that God would give us that sort of a burden, that sort of a weight that we would carry with us, that that at the center of our life, we would see that the gospel has created a people for us to live with and through and a purpose for us to live with, the mission of God. And so with that, um, why don't we break up for just a few minutes where you are? I'd encourage you maybe a group of five, six, seven, eight around you there. 
and uh, we'll spend the last five or six minutes praying, and then um, we'll go get kids and, and head out. So um, I'll put these three pastoral prayers up on the screen for you, and so you can just use that as maybe a uh, thing that your group around you there can pray for. But uh, yeah, we'd love to finish that way. And then when you finish there, you're dismissed. Thanks for coming tonight. We love you and look forward to seeing what God does over the next year.